Come join the zone in ARUP Thursday from noon to 3 at ARUP Blood Services on 9786 South 500 West. Come save a life and donate some blood. It only takes 30 minutes and you'll receive a Megaplex gift card, popcorn voucher, and jazz gear. PK, we know you love to dismiss the importance of bowl games. Teams are shorthanded. Sometimes coaches are gone. Sometimes guys who are headed to the NFL are gone. And so the teams, yeah, you got the logo, but you don't really have the team. Having said that, USC getting smoked by Iowa was not a good look for the Pac-12. Washington State losing to Air Force wasn't good. Washington did beat Boise State. Uh, I guess the question is how many Pac-12 teams are going to show up and win. And You really only repair the conference's, uh, the conference's reputation by going to the playoff and then winning playoff games once you're there. But all they can do right now is win their bowl games this offseason. And, man, USC got drilled. Okay, tell me how this works. SC finishes at best third in the conference, and they get a team that's ranked and has won nine games. Utah finished second in the conference, and they get a team that's won seven games. That's a joke. It's not a fair fight. Yes, and I think it has, uh, and we can ask our next guest about this, I think it has something to do with uh, the politics of Texas and Texas A&M and their rivalry splitting up, and they didn't want to play. And would Texas have gone to Houston to play A&M, and then Oklahoma State shows up in the Alamo Bowl? Maybe that would have been a different deal because Oklahoma State's better than Texas. Uh, maybe that would have upgraded it a little bit. Well, whatever, but SC gets hosed, and they get beaten, and then it's more Clay Helton sucks. Meanwhile, Utah, which finished with a better record, I realize they lost, but they finished with a substantially better record. They play a seven and five team. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Texas is seven and five, bolstered a little bit by the fact they have played three top ten teams, so you would expect them to lose those games. Uh, but there are a couple other games in there that they lost that uh, make you think they're just not all that. Kalen Jones, Texas Longhorns rider for The Athletic, joining us now on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. He's on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest to you. Kalen, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're good, and we are curious. How good is Texas? Because it looked like they might be good early in the season. They were 4-1. and one. The loss was to LSU. It was certainly respectable. But they lost two of the last three, three of the last five. What happened the second half of the season? Oh, man. Well, I mean, that's a good question. I think te- Texas, you know, t- in terms of talent, they probably should have been a top 15, you know, fringe top 10 team just in terms of the talent that they possess. But, you know, as you mentioned, like, they started off the season hot. Their offense looked extremely good, helped them, you know, hang in there with LSU, who's now playing a national title. But um, over the second half of the season, the offense lost its firepower. I mean, the defense was always going to be a question mark. They were replacing eight uh, defensive starters from a season ago. They lost their number one pass rusher in Charles Menehue. And, you know, it, it was going to be a problem, especially once the injuries started taking a toll on their defense. However, you know, that being said, um, there was no real signs of great improvement. There were signs over the last couple games that the defense might, you know, be heading in the right direction, but they were still struggling really mightily. And, you know, coupled with the fact that the offense just began, you know, struggling with this fit of inconsistency over the past six games, especially when you talk about uh, the passing game and Sam Ellinger being affected by, you know, an offensive line that relinquished 33 sacks and then just his own, 
you know, inability sometimes to get rid of the ball on time contributed to that, and receivers just being unable to, you know, get separation downfield. There's just a culmination of factors, and coaches talked about that a lot and what played a role in Texas struggling over the final stretch of the season. But, you know, again, like I said, like when they're at their best and they've, you know, players and coaches have expressed this before, they feel like they can hang with anybody in the country. I mean, you look at the one loss, or excuse me, one score losses to both LSU and Oklahoma this year. But, you know, when the problem is Texas got in its own way a lot throughout the year. All right, so when you look at this matchup, they haven't run the ball that well. Their leading rusher doesn't even have 750 yards, and Ellinger thrown for 3,500, and they got a receiver at 1,300. And Utah has historically been very difficult to run the ball against, and this year it seems to be the case. So is it going to be a situation where Texas, if they're going to have success offensively, is going to be through the air? Well, yeah, that's where they're going to have to find success. As you mentioned, yeah, Texas just has not been able to run the football with, you know, any type of effectiveness. You know, in 2018, excuse me, um, they, I believe they finished within the top 10 of Power 5 school in terms of rushing attempts. This year, they finished, I believe, 57. So, and just their identity as an offense has completely changed and it's shifted. Luckily, you know, the Longhorns do both Sam Ellinger. They're expected to get Colin Johnson, who's a star senior, a uh, receiver was on the cusp of getting a thousand yards last year, and then, as you mentioned, they have a thousand yard receiver in Devin Duvernay, who led the country in receptions. Um, so they'll be able to manufacture some production out of the passing game, but it, that is provided they're able to protect the quarterback. You know, Bradley and I is one of the best you know defensive linemen in the country. Uh, you know, Utah's front three, excuse me, down linemen are, are considered you know probably the best in the country, or at least a you know, up there in terms of elite groups. So it's going to be tough sledding for Texas. I, I don't know what, you know, to expect really just because, again, they, they've been so inconsistent over this, you know, final stretch of the year after looking so sharp early on. So you talked about the uh, defense was always going to be a work in progress because they had to replace so many guys. But at the end of the year when they're losing games – Iowa State 23-21, Baylor 24-10. Those, those don't look like bad defensive performances. The Utes are going to want to run the ball. Do you think Moss is going to have a big game running the ball against them? You know, I've been contemplating that because when you look at what Texas was able to do against, you know, Chuba Hubbard at the beginning of the season, or excuse me, in week four against Oklahoma State, you know, holding him to his season low in terms of rushing, um, you know, that, that's a positive performance. And Texas's defense is designed, you know, primarily to stop, you know, they, to perform well against rushing offenses. That's one of the top principles that Todd Orlando, who's now the fire defense coordinator, that, that was number one in terms of his principles and goals for what he tries to accomplish defensively. So there's a chance that Texas can hang in there and, you know, provided that they're able to hold their own at the line of scrimmage. And Texas has a lot of depth along the defensive line, I think linebacker is still an issue. But, you know, in terms of holding their own, I, I mean, unless they allow Zach Moss to get on the edge consistently and out in the space, um, then they could have some issues. But um, I, I think that, you know, Zach Moss, just in terms of volume, will probably rush for 150 yards. But it, it comes down to how effective those, that yardage is and how meaningful it is in terms of, you know, being efficient and helping Utah get down the field. Uh, I think that it's going to be, you know, a little bit closer of a game than it's probably being projected as right now. Why does uh, why does Herman fire both the coordinators? 
Well, offensively, you know, he wanted someone who's able to call plays. Tim Beck, he had to, he reassigned Tim Beck in, to uh, being the quarterback's coach through the, the bowl game. You know, primarily because he, you know, unfortunately Herman had to have his hand involved in so much of the play calling, and it took away from his ability to be more of a CEO type coach. He wants to establish relationships with players. He talks about that all the time and, you know, how important that is. And there were reports of dysfunction within the locker room, I mean, throughout the middle of the season. And, you know, young guys having to be on the same page with the older guys who understood how important the season was. And, you know, he Herman wants to be able to, you know, manage all of that in addition to having, you know, someone who he can entrust with maximizing the offense and putting his team in the best position possible. And then defensively, you know, even as you mentioned, Texas looked improved over the last four games defensively. There were definitely signs, you know, of improvement. Um, I don't know how encouraging that was. But, you know, that being said, uh, when we asked Herman, you know, why he decided to fire Todd Orlando, considering how, you know, defense had shown some signs of improvement through the last little bit, uh, he said that, you know, over the past two years, the Longhorns are ranked, you know, amongst the worst in several important offensive, or excuse me, several important defensive categories. And, you know, it, it just, at the end of the day, he just didn't see enough improvement. He needs, you know, someone who he can trust to maximize the potential and the talent that he has available. Todd Orlando's scheme, which involves a three-down front, uh, really doesn't tap into that defensive line depth that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, that being said, it's a really complicated scheme. You know, players and coaches called hailed Todd Orlando as being a defensive genius just a season ago. But that being said, it's too complicated for younger guys who are just getting into the system and being thrown into the fray so early in their career. Kalen Jones joining us, Texas Longhorns writer for The Athletic. There's certainly been a lot of talk lately about uh, teams that want to be in bowl games, teams that don't want to be there. Ute fans remember the Sugar Bowl. Alabama famously didn't want to be there after they lost the game. How motivated is Texas for this game? How much is is a disappointing season? They just want to be done with it and move on? And how much are they looking like, hey, we win this, get an eighth win, and it launches us into the offseason, and they're highly motivated. So a lot of the defensive guys talk about, you know, Todd Orlando firing definitely giving them some motivation. You know, they, they want to prove that, hey, like, you know, we're, we're good enough when they play at the, you know, their highest level. Offensively, I think there is something to prove there, too, because you have so many senior contributors, um, you know, and then the Longhorns are headed by Captain uh, Sam Ellinger, who is a natural competitor. And, you know, one of the things that I've told fans a lot is that, when you watch Texas on film, it's not uh, for a lack of effort. You know, I wouldn't say that there's ever been really a point where the team has looked checked out. I would say that it's just a matter of execution and, you know, again, play calling and being put in a position to succeed. Um, I, I think that Texas you know, is going to show some fight in this one, especially when you consider the fact that it's a home game, essentially. You're an hour away from your home campus and you're going to have some semblance of a home field advantage. Um, and, you know, again, just like last year, I, I won't compare it on the same level as winning a New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl game, but you're playing a, a highly ranked opponent who's pretty talented. And I, I think if you look at Texas, they have a chance to prove, hey, this is what they're capable of when they're playing at their best. And, you know, they, they have a real opportunity to do that once again. You know, a lot of the players say that they pride themselves on putting their best foot forward. So I think that you know, that's their motivation going in. I don't think that would be checked out at all for this matchup. 
How about Texas fans? How checked in are they going to be? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, they're definitely interested just because, you know, it's Texas football. You know, diehard Texas fans are going to be checked, you know, checked into the matchup. You know, it's not a New Year's Six Bowl game. It's, you know, there, there's definitely some disappointment there that Texas didn't end up, you know, reaching the, the goals and the heights that were expected of the program this year. But, again, like, it's, it's going to be a pretty good matchup. I mean, typically the Alamo Bowl, I think they, the, their social team threw out a stat, I think, early in the month that I think the past five matchups have been decided by four points or fewer. So I, I don't see how this contest ends up being anything different. I think it should end up being a really good game. So I read a little bit, but it wasn't fully explained in what I read, and maybe you can fill us in. Was there a chance that Texas wasn't going to be in the Alamo Bowl, that they were going to end up playing Texas A&M, where there's some politics there that maybe impacted which Big 12 team ended up where? <laughs> uh, I mean, if, if Texas had been offered it, I'm sure they would have, you know, strongly considered it. But, again, there, there's been a rift between Texas and Texas A&M leadership, um, you know, over the past you know year or so, ever since Texas A&M ended up in the SEC. So I really doubt it was likely or ever even a real possibility that Texas would have played A&M in the Texas Bowl. Um, but, you know, that being said, I think that they'd much rather have played, you know, Utah as opposed to uh, an A&M opponent this year. We saw Utah really get beat up in the trenches against Oregon, which is something that doesn't happen. I mean, it hardly ever happens. That was the big story in the Pac-12 title game as they got beat up. So you talk about Texas having some incentive. I think Utah up front on both sides of the ball, but particularly on uh, offense to make sure that they go ahead and play the way, the way they're supposed to play. How do you think defensively Texas is going to be able to handle the trenches against Utah's offense? Yeah, so like, like I mentioned earlier, I think Texas has pretty good defensive line depth. Um, the issue is, you know, they, they have, their schematics don't really allow them to maximize that. And their, their defense will end up being deployed in the same 3-3-5 you know, formation that they've been using before. So now you only have three down linemen going up against a really, really stout and talented Utah offensive line. Um, I think that could end up being an issue. But, you know, that being said, you know, Texas has shown that they can hold their own against talented running backs throughout the season. There's just been inconsistent play. And, you know, Utah definitely has an advantage. You know, I'm definitely uh, aware of that. It's just that... I think that, you know, if Texas plays at the level that is capable of playing, then, you know, it'll be a much, you know, different conversation as opposed to saying Utah's going to, you know, run all over them for about 300 yards. I think that, you know, the possibility that Zach Moss certainly is going to find success. You know, I've been watching him for four years because I used to cover Arizona State at the Pac-12. So I'm definitely familiar and aware of what Utah's capable of. Um, just that being said, I've seen Texas too play when you know it's playing consistently well. Is pretty good at slowing down the run, so we'll see. The Utes' best cornerback is a junior and is leaving for the NFL early and will not play in the bowl game. Normally, I think it'd be a lock; he'd be locked up on Duvernay, who's got almost thirteen hundred yards receiving. And now it'll be interesting to see how the Utes handle this now because uh, we don't really have any anything to go on. Uh, Duvernay 
speed threat, uh, good at going over the middle? Did he throw him a lot of short stuff and try to get him one-on-one and just stiff-arm the corner and throw him to the ground? What, what do they do with him? How, how has he gotten to 1,300 yards? <laughs> well, it's a very, very high-volume position that he was transitioned over to. He started his career um, on the outside, and Texas is kind of an X or Z role. Um, but they moved him over to the slot this year in the H. Uh, the year before, Lil Jordan Humphrey, who ended up leaving early, he he ended up uh, leading the team in receiving and went over a thousand yards last year. Um, so it's it's just a high volume position, especially for this year. The way that Texas got Duvernay the ball was a lot through the RPO actions um, on a lot of bubble screens. And you mentioned over the middle; that's really where he thrives when going downfield. Uh, Duvernay isn't the sharpest route runner, but he's very solid. Uh, once he, after the catch, he's extremely effective too. Like in terms of straight line speed, uh, this is a guy who ran a ten-two-seven hundred-meter dash uh, when he was back in high school. So he has elite speed, and you put couple that with you know very incredible strength, considering he's only like five nine, five ten, two hundred and ten pounds. Um, he's a very strong player, and so. And the way that he's been able to, you know, beat opponents is with his speed going downfield, and a lot of his successes come after the catch. So as long as, you know, Utah is making tackles in space and, you know, closing him down at the line of scrimmage, they should have a pretty decent time slowing him down. It'll just be the weapons on the outside that they'll really have to be concerned about. So you say you covered Arizona State. What was it like to cover the next college football powerhouse in the Sun Devils? (laughs) <laughs> oh man that, it was fun it was definitely fun uh you know like I, I tell the guys here at texas you know they they just have a lot of access where you're able to talk to anybody and you know the team itself was very very interesting to cover because the last year i was there was during todd graham's final year um when they transitioned over to herm edwards so it, it was completely different experience from covering texas obviously but you know, it was definitely a great time. I actually missed it. I can't even lie. <laughs> Full disclosure, PK. Go ahead and tell him. Uh, I figured you would. <laughs> PK's a sun devil. <laughs> ah. <laughs> there you go. Loves all things. Feel the fork. Loves all things ASU. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, it's going to be tough. But I'm going to drive over. I'm in San Antonio now. I'm going to drive over for the Sun Bowl and then make it back in time for kickoff in San Antonio. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just kidding. Good luck to you, man. <laughs> All right. Well, Galen, we appreciate a little bit of your time. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll see you at the Alamo Bowl. Of course, guys. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Galen Jones. Texas Longhorns writer for The Athletic. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, PK, you hear all of that. You're more optimistic about the U chances, less optimistic, or it doesn't really change anything. Interesting to fill in some of the details, but it just doesn't change the way you look at the game. Oh, I'm more optimistic. Uh, you got both offensive and defensive coordinators have been removed from their positions, and that I always look at that. You look at Now you have to look at which players aren't playing. And then what kind of coaching changes? And when you have two coordinators and that one of them 
by changing the defensive coordinator, lost the kid from Corner Canyon, the Fillinger kid, who ends up deciding to go to Utah. So the Utes have already benefited once already. They haven't even got out on the field. And they've already benefited from the coaching change. I suspect that they're going to benefit from this, and I suspect that you know since they got beat the way they got beat, it's not like they lost on a last-second field goal. They got drilled against the Ducks, and so that provides them with a ton of motivation. I'm expecting them to win. I mean, it's not the end of the world if they don't, but they're not getting last year. They got the big 10 runner-up in Northwestern, right? Plus, they were playing with a bunch of backups. Here, now they do have some issues in the secondary. There's no doubt about that, obviously. But Kyle preaches next man up. He doesn't want to hear about injuries. So if he doesn't want to hear about injuries, then neither do I. And so in that way, I mean, they're missing three guys uh, out of their defensive backfield. We understand all that. But still, they got everybody else there. So, yeah, I'm expecting them to win. I, I would be mad if they don't win. I think listening to uh, to that, it just and I put a couple of things he said out on Twitter, a couple of stats. He talked about all the sacks they gave up, and obviously they've thrown for a gazillion yards. And the blowback came right away. Well, it's the Big 12. Of course they threw for 3,500 yards. So is the Big 12 like this because their offenses are really good or because their defenses are really bad? Because we've watched the Utah offense this year. If you have a bad defense, is there any doubt about what's going to happen? This is not an offense that beats itself. They, they missed Zach Moss for half the game against USC. They still scored, what was it, you know, 23 points. Uh, you know, Oregon does not have a bad defense. If you have a bad defense, the Utes are just going to score one possession after another after another. So if their defense is bad, now if it's a case of there's a bunch of gifted offenses, maybe they make those defensive stats look worse than it really is. Uh, it seems like the Utes ought to be able to score points. They're not getting held below 30 that often. I think it's three times this year, your Sun Devils, and that was a 21-3 win for the Utes. It seems like they ought to go get their 30 points and win the game. Okay, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't have any problem with that. And I'm, I'm not sure that uh, Texas's offense is that prolific. I mean, they scored 21 against Ohio State, or not Ohio State, Iowa State, and Baylor, they only scored 10. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they only scored 27 against Kansas State. Yeah. I don't know. I, have, I haven't looked at a line. I've been, you know, holiday season, haven't been paying attention to it. But, yeah, I'm expecting these guys to have all sorts of success. All right, it's Utah and it's Texas. It's the Alamo Bowl. Tomorrow night, the Utes are favored by seven points. And the over-under, they're not expecting anything outrageous. The over-under is 55 points, which for a college football game might even be a little on the low side. 55 points is a 28-27 game. So, All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. They've got huge auctions in Meridian. Right on the edge of Boise, they do some really big auctions. Not the storage auctions, but, oh. but sightseeing Oh, auctions. yeah, yeah. Because honestly, you go to one of those storage unit places up in Idaho, and it's just like, oh, yeah, you don't want that. All right, this meth lab goes for $100. I don't understand all these bottles of iodine. Wow. Yeah. You're going deep. I had a girlfriend that was arrested and put in prison for a long time. Um, so Wait a minute. No, you Wait know that's... <laughs> I know know it. Uh, My first kiss went to prison for 30-some-odd years for... It's true. ...a very large meth lab. That's kind of a rough first kiss. This kiss, this kiss, unstoppable. This kiss, this kiss. Catch hands. 
Jones and Scotty every day from noon to three. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Purchase Ford fans on all you can eat ticket to an upcoming game and receive unlimited hot dogs, soda, popcorn, nachos, and ice cream starting as low as $37 per ticket. Visit utahjazz.com or call 325-2999 to buy your Ford fans on all you can eat tickets now. DJ and PK, we just talked to Kalen Jones, Texas Longhorns writer for The Athletic. And now, PK, you are pondering your Utes. Yes, I am. And what I am gu- are you I'm pondering? Guarantee- I'm guaranteeing victory based on one assumption. And that is? That if it's down at the end of the game, and they face a third and two, needing only a first down to clinch it, they do not throw a behind-the-line-of-scrimmage wide receiver screen. Oh, there it is. No sprint out to the left. Let's ask the quarterback to throw across his body. As long as they don't do that. They Who was won't. I watching yesterday? Because there was an NFL game. I almost tweeted it out, and then I thought, well, that's too much salt in the wound. Somebody oh, did that's that. You. What do you mean? What do you mean? I, I, I would have I thought, ah, there's not enough salt in the wind. And you thought <laughs> there did. was too much I salt did. in the It oh, was uh, whoever it was, they threw it past the line of scrimmage, past the first down marker, and they got it. And I'll have to go through all the games. I watched a lot of football yesterday, so right. At this moment, I'm not exactly sure who the heck I was watching when that thing... Uh... Uh, I'm not me. I worshipped yesterday. It's what I do. Oh, you're it's... the man. Hey, all glory to God. I listened to Dabo Sweeney. I think... Uh, bada-bing! There it is. <laughs> I think it was I think it was uh, Green Bay, now that I think about it. I think it was Green Bay. We should hit on that. The all glory to God. Because mm-hmm. sure enough, you know, I have fun with it, and I tweet it out. I put... Uh, Hey, you know, let's not forget the interception too. And then you get the BYU fans and and the Latter Day Saint folk who think you know everybody can do it, but us. And if uh, they would have done it, they would have come down on it. I mean, the all glory to God. I can live with it, but you got to say it when you lose too. You just can't say it when you win. That's true. And I have seen a handful of people do that. It doesn't happen very often. Um, who was the Texas quarterback who got hurt in the title game in the Rose Bowl against Alabama? Colt McCoy. McCoy. Colt McCoy did it. I remember him coming out and saying, uh, he said, God has a plan. It's hard right now. And I'm thinking, okay, well, he says it after wins. He says it after losses. And he did acknowledge it was hard right now because, you know, look, I'm sure when they walked on the field, they thought they were going to win the game. And then he got hurt and they had no chance to win the game. So it was hard right then. He acknowledged that. So, But, but that's a rarity. Hearing that, although in defense of Dabo, and if we had a Clemson fan listening, which we might have one out there right now, they'd be pointing out, well, Dabo doesn't lose, so how would we know? I mean, he's sitting on like a 25-game win streak right now. It's been a while since he's had a loss to comment on. Well, has he just found God during the winning streak? No, I'm sure we could go back. There's got to be a loss back there three, five, seven years ago when he was losing. Alabama beat him somewhere along the line, didn't they? Yes, he has lost. (laughs) Just not in the last two years. uh, I I just, I'm okay with it if you go with the God on the winning. Not just, not just, I mean, excuse me, the God on the losing. So, but I, 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 was it God's plan to throw that screen pass behind the line of scrimmage? I don't know what to tell you about that. That was, uh, that whole thing was odd. I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> to roll him out, make him throw across his body, behind the line of scrimmage, well short of the first down marker, and think you're going to run for it. I mean, we've had, uh, 
We've had a, a gazillion ex-quarterbacks and ex-coaches as analysts on broadcasts saying, throw the ball across the goal line, throw the ball past the first down marker. I mean, the game's been morphing with rule changes, but I've literally listened to people say that my entire life. This decade, the previous decade, the 90s, the 80s, I don't remember much before that. But The 50s. I don't remember that. I wasn't born then. Um, but for whatever reason, we still see teams not do it. I mean, the Seahawks threw the ball short of the goal line on their last chance on fourth down. And sometimes it works, sometimes you throw it short, but it seems like a risk. And it didn't it's pan a, out, and it didn't pan out for BYU and Hawaii. So as long as the Utes do not do that, I'm, I'm picking them to win. Am I safe? I think you are safe. I mean, you're going with the, you're going with the mob, PK. The, the majority of the people, I mean, there's seven-point favorites for a reason. Wouldn't the, that be the mop? The mop? Well, the majority of people. majority of the people, yes, the mob. Yeah. It would be. Well, you said mob. I don't know yes. why you always have to bring in my past. Ah, there it is. Better being. I just don't understand you. I mean, can't you let some things go? No. No. I'd always bring up your indiscretions. <laughs> that second piece of cake you didn't need. But I wanted it. Oh, I, know. I want it. <laughs> I mean, but you're a good Christian man. You're not supposed and you to be in the up, You do bring up my, my, uh, my problems because you tweeted out, wrong again. <laughs> I could just see you cackling as you hit send, just like. <laughs> I'm not going to dignify this for the response. I'll save it for the radio. Well, you were wrong again. I was wrong. It was. I don't remember what call it was. It was some. Uh, it was oh, it was a fumble. A, it was a fumble. Reception. It was. It was the Ohio State Clemson uh, play right at the end. Well, you don't even remember. I didn't for a second there. <laughs> Yeah, it took three steps. If he took three steps and went out of bounds, they wouldn't have said, well, he didn't make a football move. It's incomplete. Give me three steps. Give, give me three, three steps. steps. Give me three steps. Yeah. <laughs> Sing it. <laughs> That's even better. That Have Ohio terrible. State losing, and then they lose and be able to whine about the officiating. They could whine about the officiating. Even I mean, better. it's a little shaky because that play, there was plenty of time after that play. You know, Clemson would have played differently, so who knows how it would have worked out. But, oh, I and know. a six-point loss. Won. They got job. <laughs> it was the refs, blah, 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 blah. That was a great thing about Utah losing. Oh, no, I, I take that back. Even in the conference title game, the U, there was a bunch of Ute fans who whined about uh, targeting that should have been uh, thrown against yeah, it uh, Breeze. Been. That was totally targeting. Of course you say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you've, and, you've and seen they should have overturned. It's Zach Wilson scored. I mean, come on. What the, did Weber? Was there? Come on. Have the Utah State lost their bowl game because it was a bad call, and Weber got blown out by Jimmy Madison because there was a bad call. Come on, stop Come on. it! Come a bunch on. of nonsense. Play the game. <laughs> Did you play perfectly? So now we expect every refereeing call to be perfect. Come on, so stupid. Beat the team, and if you got to beat the refs, then beat them too. I'm sick of complaining, sick of whining. We're going into 2020, the year of perfect vision, and I am not going to tolerate any whining about the refereeing. If I hear it once, I'm going to lose my mind. So, so that that's the year of whatever, like uh, you know, in, in China, right? It's the year of the rabbit, or it's the year of the dog, or whatever. This is the year of perfect vision, 2020. Yes, we're going to hear that a million times, of course. Yes. 
So I'm not going to tolerate it. Get out of town. I mean, I'm already sick of it. How all you're doing is complaining about refereeing all day long. Beat the other team, man. Did the, the, when the Clemson went down the field to score at the end, was the refereeing involved? And when you threw the interception, was re- and quit typing? Was rep- reparate, uh, receiving uh, when he ran the wrong route? He thought the guy was scrambling or whatever. Is that interception? Was that based on? refereeing no and for the Utes tomorrow go ahead and win the freaking game don't give me a bunch of nonsense on refereeing I'm so sick of hearing about refereeing so anyway the referee on that last play yeah I'm gonna kick you right in the groin again (laughs) (laughs) just just beat the other team Stop complaining about refereeing already. And I suspect the Utes will be able to beat Texas. This is an important game for them and what they need to accomplish this season because it will really put a damper on the season, particularly in the moment. Maybe not as we get away from it, but in the moment, it'll put a damper. Whereas if they win, all right, they got beat by SC because they went over the top. And good, good, good for them. And then they got beaten one game where you didn't play well. I mean, you can argue that Oregon did to Utah what ASU did to Oregon. And this and in this conference, things happen, right? You pick the worst time for having to happen, but things happen. We've been talking about this forever. So in this conference, things happen. But if you lose – then it's more than things happen. It was, hey, wait a second, you were kind of exposed here and you weren't really as good as you thought. There are four Power Five teams that do not have two losses yet. So when you look at the two losses, lots of teams have to explain two losses, and you're one of them. And really, there aren't that many teams that can even say, hey, we're a two-loss team in a Power Five conference. Yeah. But if you get the third loss to a 7-5 and five Texas team that's already firing coordinators, right. that's just going to put a damper on things, and there's no spin in that. No, no, there, not there at all. Isn't. There no. isn't. And, and you look at it, it's not like uh, it's easy to you know, be the homer and the local team ought to win and all that. But Vegas is just trying to make money off this thing, and they've got the Utes as a seven-point favorite. 50, the over-under is 55, which means basically they're saying the Utes ought to win this about 31-24. And that would look like a Utah football game. If anything, that'd be a little more than they usually give up. Which, since the way the second, because Texas can throw the ball and because the Utes are missing three guys in the secondary, if they give up a few more points than normal, I mean, 24 is more than they normally give up. They've been among the national leaders all year. That's about double what they've been giving up. Uh, you could live with that, but they've certainly, scoring 30 points is not a big deal for the Utes. They've done it, what have they played, 13 games? So they've done it 10 times in 13 games. So. 31-24, if Vegas is right, and that's what the Utes do, you take it, you put it in your pocket, it's a 12-win season. Uh, it's, when there's this few games, the, the people who run college football accounts, man, I know List Radio is wrong, PK, and we shouldn't do it, but i got to tell you, List tweeting is just out of control. It's all over the place. Uh, but there are very few teams that have – somebody put out a list of 12-win teams in the last 20 years, and the Utes, by having three of those seasons, would be way up the list. Those 12-win seasons are pretty rare. And to get three of them over a 15, 20-year span, that, that's, that's pretty good. Oh, for sure. And then you would be most likely ranked in the top 10. Yeah. And then you would have been able to show real, real tangible progress that you've made. You not, you not just have good seasons, but you've made progress 
the last let's go back three years you can see it literally and you can point to it and it's a program that's on the rise yeah and it's no more this program out there that just plays tough hard nose football and doesn't get the respect no if you're winning 12 ball games you're finishing the top 12 and or top 10 and you've won more games than you've had the last three years you've gotten better and better better there's something to be said for that man and then you go into next season with a fair amount of expectations and not expecting a big drop off i mean you can't base all that on one game but when you're looking for perception going forward here i think that's what you have and that's why this game is important this game would be a major downer it would be a major downer to be having to the record have it be so good and then stumble at the end like this there's there's no other way to say it normally i don't get into bowl games that much but i think under this circumstance there's a little bit more on the line for this program well i think that that's all true and i think you know actions speak louder than words and it's one thing for us to say it even though we think we're right but i think that what you need to do to confirm it is look at the decision of the youth seniors so many of them are going to play in the nfl and we can debate six seven eight nine whatever but the fact is With the exception of one junior cornerback, the seniors are all coming back and saying, we don't want to go out on that note against Oregon. They're not coming back to have back-to-back losses like they did a year ago. And some of the guys, obviously, Hundley didn't get to play a year ago in those two games. And Moss was in San Diego. I saw him on a scooter, but his foot was all, you know, in a big boot and everything. He couldn't go either. So clearly, these guys don't want to go out on the back-to-back losses and that sour taste. They value the win. And not every team does in bowl games. That's just the way they're trending. But clearly, this team does in this bowl game. I agree with everything you said, yeah. And it adds to the no excuses as far as losing goes. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up, we got the play of the game. Know it at 450 today on The Big Show, and you can win fabulous prizes. We'll play that for you. And also, we got This Guy Sucks, who really sucked this weekend. We will get to that. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. And now, really? your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Fourth down. Here's your game. Here's Russell Wilson back. Wilson throws. Caught. Hollister's hit on the goal line and dropped by Drake Reedlaw. He is short. 49ers come away with the ball. The 49ers have stopped Hollister on the goal line. The 49ers are going to win the game. There it is. Chevy play the game. Know it today at 450, and you can win fabulous prizes on the big show. All right, that's enough positivity. Let's get to some negativity. Who really sucked this weekend? As the great philosopher Snoop Dogg once said, This guy sucks. like a sucker punch. It's time to reward the losers in sports with another edition of This Guy Sucks. You suck. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Who sucked this weekend? Who had a really bad weekend? This is kind of a, a, a year-long award, PK. He, he did suck this weekend in the clutch, but uh, I think it's more notable 
because it's a it, it just kind of it just kind of puts a bow on the whole NFL season. Uh, Jameis Winston. This guy sucks. Through his 30th interception of the year in overtime. Pick a six, pick maybe. six to lose the finale. And your guy, Bruce Arians, who's a great quote, former Arizona Cardinal coach, who always loved his quotes when he was in Arizona. He gets asked, well, what does this do for the evaluation of Jameis Winston? And Bruce Arians comes up with a great response. There's so much good. When you look at there's so much good and there's so much outright terrible. We got to weigh that. See what happens. He also said it doesn't help. Nice. First 30-30 season in NFL history. That is it. 30 touchdowns, 30 picks. No one's ever done that. PK, 30 yeah. interceptions is such a massive number. It hasn't been done in a long time. You want to take a shot at the last NFL quarterback to throw 30 Picks in a season. I'll give Dan you. Dan <laughs> No. Uh, there is a charge of quarterback on the Stan list. Stan Humphreys. Nope. 31 years ago, Vinny Testaverde threw 35 picks for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 1988. It's been that long. You don't get to throw 30 picks in the NFL. They pull you. You get on that pace, so you're out. 31 years, both Buccaneers quarterbacks. Way to go. Ball play their college ball in Florida. was something to also be said. True. There it is. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, Janus Winston, congratulations. That was, uh, that was outstanding. The 30th pick. You got anybody who really sucked this weekend? Well, you know, you go back to Friday, SC's defense. So, I go with Clancy Pendergast, their defensive coordinator. This guy sucks. <laughs> and he got fired. Clay Helton made some changes, a bunch of changes, one of whom he fired uh, Ron McBride's son-in-law, special teams, because they returned a kickoff all the way. Baxter's out. Pendergrass is out. SC yeah. making changes. You knew they had to come. If they were going to keep the coach, which is going to be wildly unpopular, they can't keep the staff intact. It's the politics of college sports. Somebody's, somebody's going to get blamed and somebody has to go. Yeah, and that's the way it is, man. And you see, you see, ASU hired a twenty-four-year-old, yeah, to be the defensive uh, backfield coach or cornerbacks. A young guy who can get on planes and go recruit. <laughs> a young guy yeah. who can relate to other young guys, right? But do the uh, parents and the high school coach want to see him coming? Uh, well, if he can bring players, I, I don't know that he's necessarily there to to teach. They elevated the defensive coordinator, who was the defensive to the defensive backfield coach, to coordinator, a guy named Tony White. And with that in mind, so there's something along the lines: okay, I can cover it. I need you to go recruit. But there, there's two things that they've done. Their, their staff is almost exclusively now African American, and all sorts of California ties. It's like they've given up on trying to recruit Arizona. They're just going to go and try to mine the talent in Southern California. So we'll see in the coming years how much that pays off, or it's just, you know, seven and five is who they are, and that's who they're always going to be. It doesn't matter who you don't get. It matters who you do get. That's absolutely true, yeah. And that. And so you get, yeah, who cares where great players are from? In the bottom line, the fans, it's, you know, you, you lose kids locally. Well, if you replace kids from out of state who are better, then everyone's going to sign up for that, right? It's the same thing with the Utes and BYU. You know, if you lose 
some of the top kids, a kid or one or two or three kids go to Oregon and Stanford. I mean, that sucks. But if you get kids in there who are as good or better, your fans or BYU fans, Aggie fans, they're not going to mind, right? I thought of you and all the uh, recruits that escaped from Arizona watching that LSU-Oklahoma game to the end because I was obviously waiting for the next semifinal to come on. And sure enough, they put in Spencer Rattler, the backup quarterback, the freshman from Phoenix, Arizona. I thought, uh, PK, there's another one who got away. Yeah, that kid committed his junior year. So, uh, that, yeah, there's something uh, there. I don't think he was ever going to be uh, – uh, an ASU kid, but yeah, that, that sucks. I mean, you got to get some, but if you if you can't get them, then you better go get the kids from California who are better. And that, I mean that that is a a motto for everybody. I think Utah has had far more success in state uh, keeping guys in state than certainly both of the Arizona schools have, and it's an issue for BYU too because. And then they've got a difficult schedule coming up and they've got to find ways to, to get guys and get guys in there that they need and who can make plays and, and all that. That was a very, very disheartening loss against Hawaii. I mean, they blew three games this year that just shouldn't happen. And you start – you blow games, in my mind, to a degree, it's worse than getting blown out. You know, you got blown out against Washington – but you blew three games for sure. You can argue maybe the fourth against San Jose State, but I'm not. Gonna, I'm gonna put San Jose State off to the side. You blew three games this year that you should have won, and you start getting into that, and that's when you start looking into coaching. Because if you're blowing games, well, what's the reasons? Why are you blowing games? And a lot of times it does come back to coaching, and that's a problem. Yes, I think that the other thing, I think it comes back to two things for BYU. You can certainly put it on coaching, you know, attention to detail on that. But I also think there is still doubt. And, you know, we argue about it and fans argue about it. How good are they really? I think if the Cougar players as a group really believe they were good, they would have closed out more fourth quarters. And it's such a mystery to me because they did win two overtime games that – Lots of people expected them to lose. Not everybody, but Tennessee and USC, they could have lost. So why don't they seal the deal? And, and you're right about putting San Diego State aside because they didn't have a fourth quarter lead. What went wrong in that game, I think, was different than what went wrong in the other games. And maybe you think that it shouldn't have gone wrong and they should have fixed it. But the comparisons with South Florida and Toledo and Hawaii, you're not home. You're playing two road games. Even the bowl game is a road game. You've got the lead in the fourth quarter. It comes down to a possession or two. Why can't you seal the deal? It's not that you're not good enough. You don't have enough talent. You were good enough for three quarters, three and a half quarters. In some cases, 56, 57 minutes. So there is some, there's some mental hurdle in there. And deep down, I don't think they think they're that good. Now, maybe it's as simple as, You're running out young and inexperienced quarterbacks, and as long as you're playing freshmen and sophomores, if you're playing guys, and Wilson has crossed that line now where he is above double-digit starts. He's actually around 15, 16 starts now. And so I would think it would start to be different with him, and I think that's why the quarterback job needs to be an open competition this spring. Um, When you start juniors and seniors and they've got more experience, maybe you'll win 
the majority of those games. But, man, after you win close games against Tennessee and USC, it is completely baffling that you blew those fourth-quarter leads against those three other teams. And, man, at 10-3, and three, that feels a lot different than 7-6. and six. And you could still be lamenting why you blew the San Diego State game or why you got blown out by Washington. But 10-3 and three is light years from 7-6. and six. Yeah, I agree 100%, obviously. You agree with the quarterback job has to be open this spring? I think everything has to be open this spring. Yeah, exactly. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, talking about the Jazz big win over the Clippers in L.A., the start of the conference college basketball season. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.